sixth week of a series on relationships, and in this series we're learning how to love the difficult, high-maintenance people in our lives, even the people that would fall into the category we would classify as an enemy. And we've been basing this series on a couple of verses out of Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And last week we asked the question, how can we love a person, not only they've hurt us, but they continue to hurt us? What is the goal, what is the target for that kind of relationship? And we've seen that the Bible is very, 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 very clear on this issue. As Christians, we are called to restore other people. We're not, to, we're not called to judge other people. We're not called to ignore other people. We're not called to punish people. We are called to restore people. Why is that so important? Well, I think Abraham Lincoln actually summed it up best. This is what he said. The best way to get rid of an enemy is to make them your friend. And so if someone's going to be restored back into a relationship, if they fall into the category, uh, somehow, somehow we've got to bring them back into our lives. And we've talked about boundaries. We've talked about all kinds of things. And if you're new to Hope, you can go back and listen to the entire series. But ultimately, the goal is restoration. The goal is for us to restore. Now, based on the conversations, though, we had over this past week, my guess is last week as we really addressed this, this whole idea of why restoration, a lot of you walked out of here with more questions than answers. This seems to be the biggest question floating around. What if the person doesn't want to be restored? Maybe someone abused you, betrayed you, deceived you, abandoned you, and now you're realizing Jesus has called you to have room in your life for that individual. It doesn't mean the marriage is going to be put back together. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be as if it nev- the abuse never happened. But if they're going to be moved from the area of an enemy, how is that possible? How do you restore them? What if the person doesn't want to be restored? For example, what about the prodigal child who said, Hey, Mom, Dad, these are my friends. These are my habits. This is my lifestyle. Learn to deal with it. I'm not changing. How do you deal with that? What do you do with the spouse? You know they're having an affair. In fact, everybody knows that they're having an affair, but they just act like nothing is going on. Or how do you deal with that business partner um, that you have this partnership with, and and they're doing things that are unethical, but they have no interest whatsoever in changing? How do you deal with that situation? Or maybe you're a roommate, and, and you got another roommate, and you guys made an agreement that no one of the opposite sex would stay overnight in the apartment, right? But you get up every day, and you see your girl, uh, your roommate's uh, boyfriend in his underwear trying to climb out the window before you see him, right? How do you handle a situation like that? How do you love that person? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. And I'm going to give you a principle, but before I give you the principle, uh, there's something I need to say so that you don't take this principle out of balance and out of context, because... I'll be honest with you, the principle we're going to talk about this weekend, it's a principle some Christians really, really like. In fact, a lot of Christians use this principle as a club, okay? Let me make sure the context is very, very clear. The principle that we're going to look at this weekend in no way counteracts what we talked about last week. Understand, the goal in every relationship is always restoration. By the way, let me just say this on Mother's Day. If you're a mom, would you just stand up for a second? We want, we want to acknowledge you. All the moms here right now, just stand up. Yeah. Let them know how much we love them and appreciate them. Thank you guys for being here with us today. You may be seated. Now, let me just say this about moms. You live this principle of restoration. I thought of that. That's uh, the song that Trey just sang. By the way, Trey wrote that song. Is that not a gorgeous song? But think of the lyrics of this song. Go ahead and run as far as you can go. I'll wait for you. 
Try to find what it is you're looking for. I'll wait for you. Disappear for years on end without a word. I'll wait for you. I will stay right here and love you till it hurts. I'll wait for you. And then the chorus, love will not lose heart. Love will not forget. Love will always wait for you, right? See, that describes moms. Happy Mother's Day to you, right? You live this stuff. You, you, you can just listen today. You don't have to feel guilty at all, right? But the goal in every relationship is restoration. And the tool that God is always going to use to restore is the tool of acceptance, not the tool of rejection. None of that has changed. So regardless of what you think you've heard when you walk out of here this morning, understand this principle we're going to talk about is a means toward restoration. It's not a way around restoration. It's not a way to punish someone for what they've done to you. It's a principle that has to do with restoration. So here's the question we're going to answer. How do you respond in a relationship when the person isn't interested in being restored? Yeah, they hurt you. They wronged you, right? The relationship fell apart. They've continued down a dangerous path. We learned last weekend that when someone makes a mess, restoration, literally the Greek word means we get up under the burden, up under the mess that they've created, and we help them with that burden. We help them with that mess. And so maybe you went back this week to the person who, who destroyed the relationship you were in, and maybe you asked that key question, how can I help you? And their response was, I don't want your help. I don't want your help. Now I'm going to give you over the next few minutes five options on how you deal with this. And based on your personality, based on your life experiences, based on your upbringing, you are probably going to naturally flow in one of these five directions. Now, let me just tell you, four of these options are disastrous when it comes to relationships. But one is the way God wants us to handle these tough, broken-down relationships in our life. So let me just give you the five options. You may want to write them down. The first one is you can just ignore it. You can just ignore it. And Jesus addresses this option specifically on two different occasions. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. You don't have to post it on Facebook. You don't have to offer it up as a prayer request at your small group. You just go talk to them. If they listen to you, you have won them over. In other words, it's, it's been fixed. Again, Luke chapter 17, verse 3. If your brother or sister sins against you, Rebuke them. Now, that's a pretty strong word. That's the very same word that Jesus used when he rebuked the storm. And I don't think he said to the storm, hey, wind, hey, wave, could you guys hold it down a little bit, you know? I don't think that's, I think he said, hey, stop it. Cut it out right now. Don't make me come out there. See, I think it was that kind of attitude. So think of it in those terms. If your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them and say, stop this. Stop it. What you're doing, stop it. Cut it out. And if they repent, Forgive them. In other words, if there's someone that we're in a relationship with and they're coloring outside the lines, our responsibility isn't to ignore it. Our responsibility is to confront it. And some of you are like, of course. Of course you confront it. Because, see, you love to confront. You love confrontation. That's how you're wired, right? Others of you are more like me. I absolutely abhor, hate, this. I just cannot stand confrontation. If I'm going to be involved in confrontation, and I know it's coming, this is where you'll find me. Under my desk, in the fetal position, sucking my thumb. I absolutely hate confrontation, right? But Jesus says here, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore sin. You can't ignore disobedience in the life of a person that you're in a relationship with. So we know we can't ignore it. That's not a good option. Option two, you can withdraw. This is very common. In other words, we don't want to really say anything. We don't want to deal with it, so we just kind of disappear. And they call us, we don't answer the phone. They text us, we don't return their text. 
Or maybe you're in the apartment with that roommate and you move out and you leave a note, but you don't really want to deal with it. So you leave the note saying, uh, I'm moving out because the rent's too high, right? You just kind of disappear into the woodwork. The problem is, when you do this, you're treating that individual very, very disrespectfully. In fact, it really is rejection. It certainly will not lead to restoration because you're going to run into this person. And when you run into them at Bojangles, okay, or when you run into them at the mall, you've got to make stuff up. You end up pretending. And I'll tell you this, you cannot love someone and pretend at the same time. And it's tempting. All of us have done it at times. But you've got to remember, the goal is restoration. It's not just to get by. But I'm telling you, as long as you're in pretend mode with somebody that you're in a relationship with, you can't love that individual because you and I both know love is not about pretend. Love is this. Here are the facts. This is what you did to destroy our relationships. I accept you anyway. How do we move forward from here? How do we put this thing back together again? So you can't withdraw. That's not the answer. Option number three would be just confront. In other words, you kind of have the attitude when someone's hurt you. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. But every time you walk in that door, every time you come home, I'm going to remind you that what you're doing is wrong. And I have a book for you to read. And if you don't read it, I'll read it to you. And I've got CDs and I've got podcasts. And every time we get in the car, I'm going to play them. And I'm just going to confront and confront and confront because the Bible says confront and Jesus says confront. So I'm just going to confront and I am going to wear you out. But here's the problem. When you do that, eventually that relationship, that situation is going to become very, very combative. In fact, I have never heard this story. I confronted him and confronted him and confronted him and confronted him and confronted him. And finally, one day, I broke him down. And he changed. And then he thanked me for confronting him all of these years, and now we're best friends. I have never, ever in my life heard that story. And it's because confrontation by itself, let's be honest, ends up being a rejection thing as well. Option number four, confront and abandon. And this is the wrong option because let's be honest, this is often something we do to pay somebody back. Often it's about revenge. It's about retaliation. It's an attitude that says, you know what? You've hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. You rejected me. I'm going to reject you. I am going to teach you a lesson. And you know what? You're going to miss me when I'm gone. You're going to miss me by my walk. You're going to miss me by my talk. You're going to miss me when I'm gone, right? But let's be honest. Generally, it's a way that you hurt the other person. In fact, let me just give you a relational principle that you need to understand. And it took me a lot of years to get this. As an adult... It is never your responsibility to punish another adult. Let me say that again. As an adult, it is never, ever your responsibility as an adult to punish another adult. Now, I'm not talking about the legal system. I'm not talking about the law. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about dropping a bomb on ISIS because they're misbehaving. I'm talking about in relationships. And when you're in a relationship with an adult and you say something like, I'll show you, understand you have crossed the line and you can kiss restoration goodbye. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, but let me remind you of it. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. In other words, when it comes to vengeance, when it comes to punishment, that is God's job. And when we decide that we're going to teach an adult a lesson because what they've done to us, we're basically saying this, God, you're too slow. And I'm not sure you're going to handle it the right way anyway. 
So God, I've decided I'm going to get involved. I'm going to handle it. I'll deal with the situation. I'm going to teach them a lesson. But do you know what happens in any area of life where we take responsibility for what God is responsible for? God doesn't stop us. He just sits back and he kind of watches us make fools of ourselves. For example, you may have the attitude, God, I don't need you in my marriage. I will run my marriage the way I want to run my marriage. And God's like, what? God, I don't need you to tell me how to raise my kids. I'm going to raise my kids the way I want to raise my kids. God's like, fine, have at it. Or maybe you're single. God, I'm single. I don't need you in my life to tell me about my morals and what I should do. I don't need you, God. I've got ChristianSingles.com, right? I don't need you, right? You know what God says? Fine, do it yourself. He doesn't stop us. He just lets us crash. And you got to understand, it is the same way when we decide to punish someone. And so remember, whenever you decide, I'm going to teach them a lesson. What you've done in that moment is you've taken God out of the equation. And God's sitting back thinking, whoa, whoa, don't do that. That's my job. That's my responsibility. So never, ever do something with the intent of punishing an adult or teaching an adult a lesson. It is not your job. That's God's job. Now, option number five is the option that the Bible highly recommends, and this is what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. Confront, step back. Confront, step back. Engage and disengage. If you have your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And as I said last week, you know, we have books of the Bible, but the, originally they were letters that Paul wrote. Many of these were letters that Paul wrote to churches that were new churches. This church was in Thessalonica, and they were having some relational issues within people inside of the church. And so Paul, he hears about it through the grapevine, and he writes this letter, and this is what he says, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 6. We'll put the verses up on the screen. He says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... We command you, there's a strong term, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. The key word here is idle. And the word idle doesn't mean what you probably think it means. When we think of someone's idle, we think of someone who's lazy, who's not very ambitious, who sits around, you know, maybe we would say, that, well, he's such a loser. Maybe they're living in their parents' basement, eating pizza all day and playing video games. We would say, they're idle. But literally, this word means, in the Greek, it means out of step. It means out of kilter. And it was a word that was used by the military in the first century to describe a soldier who was, who was marching out of step or he was marching out of sync. He wasn't in sync. That's what the word means. So Paul says, we've got some Christians in Thessalonica, and they're not in sync. And in verse 11, he gives us a little more context as to what's going on. He, he says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Now notice this. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. You've been around church long enough. You know some busy bodies, right? Some of you are busy bodies. You don't really take care of your own spiritual life, but you're very, very interested in what's going on in everybody else's life, right? Maybe you're a busybody. He goes on to say, but that's another series. He goes on to say, such people, these are the busybodies, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Now, what is that all about? Well, this is what was going on. In the first century, because of the poverty, and you can study this in history, 
these Christians were, they, they were living and they were pretty much sharing everything together. In other words, if you got some corn, you brought it to church. If you had some butter beans, you brought it to church. And everybody shared whatever they had. But there were some people in the church who had decided that they were going to take advantage of the system. And so instead of working, instead of pulling their share of the load, some of the Christians, they were just kind of showing up and they were letting everybody else take care of their needs. In other words, there were some freeloaders in this Christian community. They weren't in step. They weren't in sync with the teachings of Paul. They weren't in step. They weren't in sync with the teachings of Jesus. They were taking advantage of the generosity of others. And so Paul says, listen, you need to stay away from these freeloaders because they're idle. They're out of sync. They're out of step. They're not behaving the way they should be behaving. Now, I have to say something here. Because every church has freeloaders, right? And guess what? The bigger the church the more the freeloaders. That's what I've discovered. You say, well, Mike, I don't think I'm a freeloader. Well, I'll, help you. I'll help you figure out if you're a freeloader. Jesus tells us to give and be generous. If you don't give, you're a freeloader. So you're, you're assuming somebody else will give and pay the mortgage. Somebody else will give so we can have a staff. Somebody else will give so the lights will be on. You just come and enjoy. Or maybe you don't serve. And the Bible is very, very clear. Jesus says, I set the example. As I've served you, you now get out there and serve one another. A lot of you don't serve. You just assume when you show up, somebody will be out there to help you park. Somebody will take care of your kids in Kid City. Somebody loved to change your baby's diaper in the nursery so you can sit in here and enjoy it. You might be a, a freeloader. Now, that's another series for another time. We'll call it freeloading. I don't know. We'll call it something. By the way, mothers, you are not freeloaders. Have I said happy Mother's Day yet? Okay, let's get back to the message. I just, I can't pass up an opportunity like that. But anyway, verse 14. Uh, by the way, let me just say this. A few weeks ago, we asked you to give $1.3 million in five-week period of time so we could, we could get this building moving in Apex. And we're this close to getting there. So keep it up. Some of you freeloaders get involved. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to crash right through that barrier. But let's finish strong. Yeah, we're just, we're this close. Verse 14. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do, now look what Paul says. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. They need to know what's going on. So if I just shamed you, see, it's my job. Uh, now, here's the restoration part. He says, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them. Here's the confrontation part, as you would a fellow believer. Don't treat them like they're an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now, here's the principle. Here's the principle. There often comes a time in relationships with people we love, if that person chooses a way of life, we would say that's outside the boundaries of, of what is right in terms, say, of our faith and our values, and it begins to break down our relationships, there comes a time to step away and change the nature of that relationship, and if need be, not associate with that person at all. And see, this is where some people go, well, that's, that's all I need to dump that loser I married and get out of my marriage, right? I even have a verse now to back me up, right? Be careful before you think that way. Remember what Paul said. It's not because they're an enemy, but because they're a brother, because they're a sister. In other words, you're doing it because there's a relationship there. And again, remember, the goal isn't alienation. The goal is always restoration. So this is what I want you to hear this weekend. 
in a relationship where someone hurts you, in other words, there's pain in the relationship, there's dysfunction because of the person, because this person has gone outside the boundaries of Christian behavior, and they've, they've made the choice to do this, and their attitude is, hey, you know what, this is just the way it's going to be, deal with it. And because of that, now you have a standoff in the relationship. Understand, it is perfectly appropriate and sometimes even advisable to redraw the boundaries and to redefine the relationship. Now, why would you do that? Two big reasons. Because one, first of all, having been excluded from the relationship, that person's restoration is accelerated. Because now you've basically said, you do what you want to do. What's going to happen is they're going to get a big, big dose of whatever it is that they're into, and they're probably going to crash and burn. They're probably going to hit the bottom. And when they hit rock bottom, they're going to hit it without you there to soften the blow. So sometimes this could actually accelerate the restoration process. But even more importantly, by stepping back, you protect yourself from getting dragged into some sin. Remember we talked about it last week that we have to be careful so we don't become angry and guilty and we bring pride, all those things we bring on ourselves. Or two, we're so close that your anger and your frustration level, it is such a peak. I mean, you can't even think straight. And you continue to say things, you continue to do things you know you shouldn't be saying and you shouldn't be doing. And you continue to make decisions you shouldn't make. And all of a sudden, you've got this incredibly toxic relationship. In fact, you're in such turmoil, you can't even think straight. So Paul says, you got to remember, remember, the goal is restoration. Therefore, since you're a restorer, you've got to get stabilized. And that means that you confront, you step back, you get some space, you gain some margin. You allow God to bring healing, you allow God to help you deal with your anger, your frustration, your hurt. And then in due time, if God is so gracious, you're looking for that opportunity to restore the person. You're looking for that opportunity, that possibility to restore the relationship. Now again, let me stress, this is not an excuse to abandon a relationship. This is sometimes a necessary step in coming to terms with what you've been through in order to prepare you to be in a position to restore this person, first of all, back to God, and then second, back into a relationship with you. In fact, let me just boil it down to three simple steps. First of all, confront. you got to confront. Don't ignore it. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. you got to confront. Second, step back. In other words, now you've got to redefine the relationship. And when you get to this step, you may need a best friend. Make sure they're a godly friend with godly wisdom. You may need a counselor. You may need to come see a pastor. If this is a marriage, this is really, really sticky. If this involves a child, it is very, very complicated. But you've got to get some space. You've got to step back. And understand, this isn't unloving. This isn't unchristian. It's just, it's just a part of restoration. So you confront, you step back, and then third, you look for signs of brokenness. Why do you do that? Because you got to remember, you're not an abandoner. See? You're a restorer. And you see this in the Bible played out in what may be one of the favorite stories that Jesus told. It's the story of the prodigal son. And it's interesting. Remember the young man who came to his father and said, hey, I want my share of the inheritance. I'm ready to get out from under your rules. <laughs> I want to get out on my own. 
I want to sow my wild oats. I just want to do my thing. And it's interesting, when the son came and asked for that, the father didn't try to control him. He didn't try to convince him otherwise. He didn't try to manipulate him. He didn't say, I'm going to talk you out of it. He didn't, use, he didn't use the inheritance as a leverage. You know what he did? He said, hey, son, if that's what you want, here. What did he do? He created space. He created space. But it's interesting, if you read the, the story, you discover that every day this father, he walked out to the end of the road to see if this was the day that his son was going to return home. What was he doing? He was looking for brokenness. He was looking for a chance to restore. And that's exactly what happened. Because if you read the story, yeah, the son went off and he sowed his wild oats. It was about wine, women, and song. And everything was great. And he had all the friends in the world until one day he went to the ATM. And the balance was zero. And all of a sudden, all these friends he had because he was picking up the tab at the bar. And all the girls that were hanging on because he was treating them great. They were gone. because The money was gone. And if you know the story, he finds himself in a pig pen, waiting for the pigs to eat, and then eating whatever is left over. And it was in that environment, one of the greatest, greatest lines in the whole Bible, sitting in that pig pen that says this, he came to his senses. And sometimes that space has to be created. To allow someone to get to the point where they come to his, their senses. And sitting in that pigsty, he's like, this is stupid. I got a dad at home. He has servants who are living better than I am. I mean, they got a roof over their head, three meals a day, a great place to sleep. I'm going to go home to the father. And he begins to think through and, and, and practice his speech, what he's going to say to his dad when he gets home. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, dad every day has gone to the end of the road and looked for his son. Nothing. But one day everything changed. Because he looks down the road and he sees this gaunt, lanky figure coming at him. And he thinks, that can't be my son. But then he notices his walk, his gait. And he's like, oh, that's him. He's coming home, right? And it says that this father runs to him. By the way, in the first century, I think this is why Jesus used it, Jewish men didn't run. And when he got to that boy, he hugged him and he kissed him. Guess what? In the first century, Jewish men, they didn't kiss and immediately the son begins to share his speech. Uh, Father, I have sinned against you, and I am willing to come. He's like, yeah, just be quiet, be quiet. Somebody get the robe, and they bring the robe and put it back on him. Hey, put some shoes on this boy's feet. Now, why is that important? See, only, in the first, only servants didn't wear shoes. Like, this boy's not a servant. Put some shoes back on his feet. You know, in America, the slaves, the 1800s, you know what they used to sing? It's an old spiritual. All God's children got shoes, right? They got this, right? And not only that, he says, put the ring back on his finger. Hey, the ring was like the credit card. I mean, when you went to buy something, you used the, you used, it was like pressing it down. It was, it was your signature, your family signature. Give him his ring and go outside and kill the old calf bossy. We're going to have some veal. We're going to have a barbecue, right? What's happening? It was all about restoration. Now, if you're here <laughs> this weekend and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're new to hope. This is what you're probably thinking. <laughs> I'm sure I want to go to this church. Because I'm going to screw up and somebody's going to jump out of the bushes and say, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, caught you red-handed, right? And then you're going to bring me before the church and everybody's going to vote, raise their hand. They're going to kick me out and no one's ever going to talk to me again. You've, you think that way because you've heard stories of churches who have no idea what restoration is all about. That is not what we're talking about here. 
This has nothing to do with the natural progression of growing as a Christian. As we learn how to deal with sin and get it out of our lives. This has nothing to do with falling into temptation. This, is had no, this has nothing to do with making mistakes or even bad decisions. This is about a person who knows better but decides that he or she just doesn't want to do the right thing anymore. They just do not want to live by God's standard, God's values, God's precepts, God's principles anymore. But do you know what else it's about? It's about treating people with dignity. It's about relationships that are driven by honesty. It's about a strategy to help keep people from self-destructive behavior. In fact, let me try to explain it this way and I'll close. I want you to think back to the dumbest decision you've ever made in your life. Some of you are going to have to sort through. But just, just grab one, okay? Okay? It's the one you would do anything to go back and undo it, right? It's the one you pray every day no one ever discovers. You should have never married that guy. You should have never asked her out. You should have never stopped at that bar. You should have never tried that drug for the first time. Whatever it is, you got it? Now, let me just say this. If you're here and you can't think of one, you need to leave. Because you're too good for this church. And we're just going to screw you up if you hang around us, okay? We all have something. Now, I want you to imagine that right before you made that decision, a friend came up to you and said, you know what, maybe this is none of my business. But I think you're getting ready to make a huge mistake. Please don't do this. But you did it anyway. And as a result, your world fell apart and you crashed and you burned. Now, imagine that very same person who came to you and said, please don't do this. Imagine them coming to you and not saying, I told you so. Imagine them coming to you say, how can I help you? And they get up under the burden of the mess you've made, and they help you. That's what we're talking about. That's restoration. And just so you know, that's the gospel. The gospel is this. God says, okay, human race, pay attention. Listen up. Going to give you some commandments, some rules, some guidelines, some do's and don'ts. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Don't sleep around, don't commit adultery. Don't treat your kids like idiots. Don't go to Carolina. Don't do any of that stuff, and you will be just fine. And then some, we just went out and did it anyway. What did God do? Did he say, you idiot? I told you not to do that. No. He sent his son to die for our sin. All the stuff he warned us not to do, but we went right out and did it anyway. Never once did he scold us. He just said, I don't understand why, but I am head over heels in love with you. Now let's get you cleaned up. Let's pick up the pieces. And let's go from here. I'm telling people, that is the gospel. That's the story of God's word. And I'm going to tell you something. You probably don't want to hear this from your pastor, but oh well. And Laura's here so she can vouch for it, but don't ask for specifics. I have done a lot of stupid things in my life. A lot of scripts, a lot of regrets. But every time, every time, God says, 
well, I love you. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's pick up the pieces and go from here. And see, when I, when I sing a song like we sang earlier, I, I, that's one of the most difficult songs for me to sing. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Because, see, when I sing that song, it makes me want to be better. It makes, when I realize how much it, it makes me want to be better. And so God says this. Now, the way I've loved you that makes you want to be better, I want you to go love the people in your life, the difficult people, the high-maintenance people, even those people that have been your enemy. I want you to treat them the way that I have treated you. See what happens. See, this isn't about kicking people out of our lives. This is about staying in a position to be a restorer. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Let's bow together. Maybe you're here this weekend and you feel like, wow, I need to get connected to my Heavenly Father. Maybe you're here and you're like the prodigal. You've done your thing. You're not even sure why you're in church this weekend. But you've hit rock bottom and you're back and you're thinking, God, I sure hope you're out there because nothing else is working. Well, I've got great news for you. You were surrounded by people this weekend who have the same story. Different details, same story. And here at Hope, we would love nothing more than to connect you with your Heavenly Father. And I promise you this, he'll never say, I told you so. He won't scold you. He's not going to lecture you. He's going to say basically this, so how can I help you? Because you have a Heavenly Father who wants to restore you. And if that's you this weekend, we have a counter, the next step counter. If you go out in the atrium and turn to the left, you'll see it. And there are people there who would love nothing more than have a conversation with you about how today could be a day where the rest of your life changes. Father, you are such an incredible God of love. Right now, I pray for that college student. I pray for that single person who finds themselves in a relationship they know they shouldn't be in. I pray for marriages that are upside down. I pray for parents right now who don't even know where their child is today. I pray that you would show us how to be restorers so that we can then reflect your love to this world. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this weekend who is not a Christian, they've never accepted that free gift of salvation made possible through your son's death on the cross. I pray that this would be the day. I pray that you would give them the courage to make it known to somebody. And they would walk out of here a new creation. We thank you for your patience with us. In your holy name we pray.